LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for his glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, and welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for the Established Church by uh, Established Church Leaders. My name is Josh, and my good friend Micah is on the line. Micah, how are you? I am good, man. Sitting here with my window open. Can you hear the birds singing? I cannot. You cannot. Well, I'm telling you, literally, I'm listening to them sing right outside my window right now. It's a man, gorgeous, fantastic. gorgeous day. It was like 50 degrees you know when I woke up. Do you know like their names and stuff? I have no clue. I know that they're birds. Yeah. My, uh, one of our pastors and I was sitting on the back porch last night and we're just seeing all these many, many, many birds of central Arkansas. And, uh, we start making jokes about what we would call them. So, I mean, it was just pretty much like that, that there's a yellow bird and that (laughs) that one, there's a red with some brown. So what you're telling me is creativity is not your strong suit. (laughs) (laughs) Actually very creative, but birds all look the same to me, you know? And then, yeah, and then the, bird, the bird watching podcast listeners, that small select group of people who are both bird watchers and podcast listeners are deeply offended by what you I just know. said, Josh. I'm so sorry. So sorry. But if you're a bird watcher, why are you listening to a podcast? I mean, come on. Hey, you listen, a, don't disparage them listening to our podcast, man. You need a man. VOD. You need a podcast. <laughs> so speaking of the pastor that we were, that I was hanging out with last night, he's one of, he's our most recent hire here oh, nice. at the church. Nice. Yeah. And um, the time that I've been at Second Baptist has been eight months now, which is kind of fun. And in that eight months, we've hired four staff. And so it's a lot of hiring in a very short period of time. And um, we thought, you know, you and I were kind of kicking around some ideas and we thought we'd talk a little bit about building a team. That's not necessarily the hiring, but this is a constant issue when it comes to volunteer leaders, ministry leaders, and then in particular, when you do get that shot to hire somebody, whether it's your 27th staff member and you want them to lead this ministry in particular, or maybe it's your first, you know, part-time staff person you get to bring on, man, there's a lot of weight in that. You don't want to mess that money up, right? You don't. And uh, I'll be honest with you. When I first, when I was younger, I used to love, um, I used to love the idea of hiring staff and I used to love the process of going through it. And now I just don't enjoy it as much as I used to. And I think part of it is um, just the process is lengthy and Mm. it's hard and it's a little more hit and miss than we would like for it to sometimes be. Right. And um, yeah, and I think it's just, it's, and I, I found that I'm not as good at it sometimes as others on my staff. And so having others speak into the process has been a big deal. I know that I'm not as good at it um, by myself. Yes, With other that's people right. involved, that's I'm right. definitely a lot better. So what are some of the, you know, the steps that you take? Um, so, well, let's just first say when we're talking about hiring, do you do um, one of those shotgun sort of like open approach, post it somewhere? Do you, what's your strategy on getting the names you're actually going to consider? I profoundly do not open it up to a okay. shotgun approach. I don't post the job anywhere. I don't 
Uh, I mean, we have a staff position right now we're looking for, and um, I think right now is probably the first time I've ever mentioned it publicly that mm. we even have this staff position available. I, I just um, here's the thing: I used to do the shotgun approach when I was earlier in ministry at a previous church or two, and um, what I found is you'll get twenty times. Well, no, that's not even fair. You'll get a hundred times more resumes than you need. Right. I don't care what the position is. You're going to get a hundred resumes likely for it if you just do an open all call. And 75% of those you can dismiss without even paying attention to it. People, it's amazing to me how people don't even look at the position that's open. They just send resumes in. Oh, yeah. And uh, their resume might not have anything to do with the open position. They might have a cover letter, and the cover letter talks about a different position than the one you're looking for. I mean, just stuff or a different like that. church. Or a different like, church. Who yeah. may concern at, and you're like, that's not us. Dude. Yeah, I'm like, why are you sending this? I mean, those are the first sort of things that if I see that, if I see grammar, if I see spelling mistakes, I mean, if there's one in there, okay. Right. If there's two or three, four in there or more, I mean, immediately, I don't care who you're, you know, your what your credentials are. It's just going to go in the pile and I'm not going to look at it uh, beyond that because that indicates to me some things about your character and your work ethic and your attention to detail and, you know, all of the above. So, mm -hmm. I, so that's problematic to me right off the bat. You can probably, if you do an open, open call for resumes, my experience has been 75 plus percent right off the bat. You don't even have to take 10 minutes once you receive them all before you're, you're throwing out 75% of them. Right. Um, the other problem I have is if I don't have any actual personal knowledge of the candidate, and I think there's a fine line to be walked often between hiring someone you're extremely close to and hiring someone you don't know at all. Mm -hmm. I think generally speaking, my, my thought is that you're better off hiring someone you know uh, to enough degree to know that they're credible. Mm -hmm. but it can be difficult when they're really close. That can be challenging in terms of supervision and that sort of thing. And so, um, so for, you know, the, the other problem is then when you don't know them at all and you get the resume and you look and they've got credentials, they've got experience at XYZ churches, or they've got recommendations or references from XYZ people. Right. Um, all of that can be, I want to, I don't want to say people can be dishonest about it because that's not accurate. But it can be presented in such a way that it doesn't necessarily tell you the whole story about who they are. And it truthfully, the degrees you have, the experience you have, that's helpful to me to some degree. The number one thing I'm looking for on a resume, if I don't know the person, is um, who, who their references are. Mm. Do I know these people? What do their references tell me about what they believe and what they practice? Mm -hmm. Those are at the top of my list. And so, um, yeah, I mean... I'm just not an all-call kind of guy. That that to me is difficult and right. uh, problematic. So yeah, mm -hmm. we've done we've posted positions, especially since we were looking for so many of them. Mm -hmm. um, we posted it to try to get some names. My first response, or my first, if if we're hiring somebody, my first thing is to to think to just sit down and go, who would I hire? And I'm not necessarily like, do I know someone who would be good in this role? I'm not necessarily looking for somebody who's already doing it. I right. might be thinking, I know them, they're in this role over here, but I really think they'd be better in a role like this. So right. those will be some people, even before we post jobs, I've often had, I don't know, a dozen conversations with different people, just honing in what exactly we're looking for, what kind of candidates are out there. We will post the jobs, we'll get the resumes, they'll come through. Um, I do say that I will wait the ones that, you know, hey, I'm friends with Micah. 
and he told me about this job. You know, I'll wait that much more than just a random hot shot. Just it came in. Right. Uh, we do not do the website type of things because that's where you'll get just just a gajillion of them, oh and they gosh. mean nothing. Yeah. Um, so, wh- what I'm particularly looking for is once I've honed in exactly what I'm looking for, and, and it's different. So, what I'm saying here is. Wh- how how Brainerd might define an associate pastor and right. how Second Baptist right. might – so right. I'm not asking for it an associate pastor. could be very pastor. different. Yeah. So what I would be saying is, hey, I'm looking for a, a student minister that has these characteristics and this qualifications and this particular is something I'm really looking for, has this kind of personality. Then I'll call Micah and Sam and other guys and I'll say, hey, who do you know that fits this? And give me two or three names. I'm actually looking for the person on this level of the conversation. I'm looking for the person who's the best one that you know out there. Yeah, that's and right. I'll go after that person. So here's yeah. So this is my my argument to some degree, Josh. You're right in there. I um I think it's way better to do a lot of hard work before you really narrow down your candidates mm-hmm. than it is to just get a huge bunch of candidates and then ultimately try and do some hard work. At that point, I would rather not do an all call. I would rather pick up the phone, call 10 people I know and trust and say, who do you know who fits this paradigm mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. let them get, in fact, almost every one of my most recent hires <laughs> have come that way. In fact, two of our most recent hires that have been fantastic hires, both came from Nathan Finn recommendations and Nathan's one of my best friends in the world. And, and so mm-hmm. Nathan you know, Nathan gave me great candidates in both positions and we've hired them and they've been outstanding now, one right. for two years and one for a little over a year. So that's, to me, it's harder. It's long work. You, you call the people you know, who fits these characteristics, and then you do, you go after them. And I've gone after folks and they've told me no, and I've not been able to get them. And I've gone after folks and I've been able to get them, but I'm just telling you, I think that's more productive in the end. And I, I think to, to your point, you're not worried about what position they're currently in. Right. That's also part of my mantra when it comes to hiring. I'm looking Mm. for who more than what. Right. And so like, I want to know, are they the type of individual? Do they share my DNA, theology, not my physical DNA, but our (laughs) church's DNA, (laughs) not, not nepotism is not what I'm talking about here, but Mm -hmm. I mean, theological nepotism to some degree, like, am I, am I hire? you know, am I getting someone who's culturally, theologically, the kind of person we want? Are they a learner? I'll tell you, education means a lot less to me than I think it does to a lot of guys. And that's odd, I think, because I have an MDiv and I'm doing a PhD. I love education. But I'm just telling you, I know guys with doctorates that I wouldn't hire at all. Because Mm -hmm. to me, the question is not what degree you have. The question is, are you a learner? And are you a voracious learner? Do you read? Do you study? Are you constantly trying to shape who you are based off of, you know, looking at your weaknesses and trying to improve those areas? That's far more important to me than whether you've got the degree set. Let's talk about that. Like, so that's a that's a twist on the classic. You know, most people are looking for that MDiv or whatever. Right. You're looking for a learner. That's I think right. one of the things that I'm very interested in is some sort of version of a networker. I want to know somebody who is interesting. Like, enjoys their job to the point that they they know a ton of people in that same sort of um, thought vein, and they're constantly kind of like, uh, maybe it's not networker is the word I'm talking about, but. Connection. I really love to say when a staff person comes to me and they say, hey, I'm thinking about this idea. I always like to say, so what did such and such church do on that? What did – and Brainerd is one of those. Cross Church would be one that we reference. Uh, Watermark in Dallas. Um, Harris Creek and Waco. We'll, I'll say, what did Harris Creek do about that? 
And I love when the staff say, oh, okay, well, here's here's three churches. I already talked to their people and they came about this approach. And so there's this whole like um, collective on their own. They have a network of minds behind them that that they're kind of bringing to the table, not so much a Lone Ranger. They're, they're playing in the big collective team. So I really look for that and I ask them, who are your who are your peers that you talk to regularly in this sort of ministry field or professional field? See, I think what you're describing is what I call a learner. Hmm. Just someone who is constantly out there looking. What are other churches doing? What's been effective? What are thought leaders you know, talking about. And uh, that's, again, what I'm talking about. I mean, I've got multiple young guys we've hired on staff. I can think of one without his college degree completed la- lately, and he's in a key pastoral position. I can think of one who has an undergrad but no formal theological education, though he's getting some formal theological education right now. And those two guys that I just mentioned are two of the best pastors we have on our staff. Wow. They're remarkably good at what they do. They're hungry. They're learners. They're humble. And uh, they devour whatever we can give them in terms of theological development. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're doing extraordinarily well. And they do make mistakes. That's one of, We also have a, a younger staff. And we talk about that often. Like our younger staff, um, we have to deal with a lot of mistakes. But that's okay. They're mistakes I'm, worth, I'm willing to, to swallow to some degree. I mean, obviously, there are certain mistakes that can't be made. But, I mean, I'm just talking about the normal stuff that happens in a job. Sure. They're going to make those mistakes. I tell them all the time. I don't mind you making mistakes. I mind you making mistakes twice. That's my, you know, that's 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 what I'm looking for. They make a mistake, that. okay? We're going to correct it. Just don't do it again. But to me, we take risks on young younger staff members. Uh, for one, I'll just be honest with you: younger staff members are easier to shape into the DNA of your environment mm-hmm. than older staff members. Older staff members often come with their own sort of DNA and culture set, and they want to mold everyone around them into that. We want to mold the staff member into the DNA and culture set of our church, which is also, by the way, why over 75% of our hires are hired from within our church. Hmm. The majority of our hires come from on our staff, which is also why they may not have as much theological education, formal theological education, because we're hiring them from within, and then we're helping them to get theological education while they're here. But yeah, we're getting ready. We've got a couple positions right now that we're looking to fill. Some are more significant, some are less significant. Um, but I can tell you a number of those. We're, we already have candidates in mind and all, uh, n- not for every position. Well, actually, I take that back. Every position we're looking to hire right now, our primary candidate that we've identified is currently a member of our church. Wow. Including a very significant key pastoral, one of our primary pastoral leaders. Every position we're looking at people who are currently members of our church. And that's very unusual. It is, but I'm just telling you, I think you'll have a higher success rate in terms of people who work well on your staff, and I think you'll have a higher success rate in terms of keeping people on your staff if you hire from within. That's true, too. Uh, because because of from the, the town. If they're already connected to the community right. and, um, and the church, then they're more likely to stay around. That's exactly which, right. Which is something that I was going to say when you're talking about when – we're, when we're talking about somebody who – is constantly looking around at other churches. There's a line between they are networking and learning. They're looking for better options. And they're looking for better options. And I think that that's that's something that the resume will help you in with longevity in a certain position. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'll, I'll give you a really good example. I've hired two or three times now at multiple churches. I've hired kids ministry directors or children's pastors. <clears throat> and I've actually, <clears throat> excuse me, in the last two weeks, I've had multiple people come to me 
for recommendations on a kids ministry director or a children's pastor. And certainly there are candidates that you can go out and get for that position. My experience has been um, um, that by far the better option is to hire someone, a man or a woman who works, for instance, as a school teacher but has a sense of calling in your town and already is connected to your church as a member or something like that. That's what I've done. In fact, every time I've hired someone who's a kids ministry director, a children's director, I've hired from within. Our most recent youth pastor hires have been from within, either hiring us a church member and putting them in a position or promoting them from within. Mm-hmm. All of those things. And I'm just telling you, we have tremendous success with that. Just if if I can if I can be real clear on this point. I'm not talking about outside the the bounds of orthodoxy now. So let's set that as the parameter. Mm-hmm. But let's just ignore that. That's not what I'm talking about. But otherwise, I would say culture is almost more important than their theological DNA. Their cultural DNA is almost more important than their theological DNA at being an effective staff member and working long term in the in the in the church environment. And right. That's not to say again. I'm not talking about them. Well, okay, it's okay to have an unorthodox theologically staff, you know, theologically unorthodox staff member as long as they're culturally. I'm not talking about that. Right. We're making an assumption that there are basic theological parameters. Uh, with that said, somebody who shares your culture and shares your DNA is going to be more effective in the long term than someone who might be exactly where you are theologically, but has a far different cultural context that they're coming to you from. Yeah, and this is exactly true because I've seen people, you know, I lean um, Baptistic Reformed. So that's clearly where I am. Quasi-charismatic Baptistic Reformed, isn't that Quasi-charismatic. right? Quasi-charismatic. <laughs> I mean, I'm just one of those. And, you know, you can put me in the the box at the coffee shop. I mean, I'm, I fit this whole thing to a T and I'm fine with that. Except for the Apple products. I'm fine with all of that. The, glory, glory, I love my Apple products. <laughs> the thing though, I've hired people before or been talking to somebody before and I've had somebody make the comment that says they're not reformed. And I say, I don't care because I'm not looking for them to be reformed because, you know, I'll fix that later. No, I'm kidding. Oh, I will. Uh, I'm fine with that. That's fine. You know, it's that that's within the realm of orthodoxy and I'm not acting as though my reformed heroes or myself are completely right on all this. We could be stretched and learned. What I'm looking for, what I'm obsessed with is the culture. How do you how do you interact with church members? How do you interact with other staff people? So my question to you is, do you do anything in particular that will lean towards that? We'll really look into that in the interview process. Yeah. So I, I'll tell you, Honest to goodness, I don't know how many staff members I've hired over the last 20 years. Um, I, I I can promise you that at least I'd, I'd say in the last – I shouldn't use the word promise because it's possible I'm not remembering something well. Mm-hmm. I feel very strongly that over the last decade, I don't think I've ever asked a staff member what their position is on soteriology. Hmm. And I think that would surprise people. Uh, right. That's not to say I don't ask them some basic questions about orthodoxy. My point is I don't care if they're reformed or non-reformed. That doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. I like to tell people we – our church, the way we consider ourselves is we're a theologically driven pragmatist. And so we have a theological center, a theological core. We believe pretty strongly in that. But we're also, you know, also constantly asking the question what works. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, you know, our theological core keeps us from running down the what works path beyond where we should go. But we are certainly going to push towards those boundaries of asking the question what works. 
those are the questions I'm looking for. You can have, there's lots of flexibility theologically. You know, obviously we're asking for affirmation of our church doctrinal statement, which is the Baptist Faith Message 2000. And so we're consistently sort of a Southern Baptist congregation. That's our identity. That's who we are. And we're asking people to affirm that. But within sure. those bounds, man, there's lots of flexibility. And I'm not worried about it one way or another. I mean, I, I just, those are not going to be hills I'm going to die on. I'm more mm. concerned, are you going to help us fulfill our church's mission of helping those who are far from God become committed followers of Jesus Christ by delivering the word, discipling the believer, and deploying the church until we see 1% of Metro Chattanooga gathering every week in a Brainerd church plant or campus so that we can worship together? That's mm. our big task that we're working toward. Can you do those things? All right, let's, let's, let's strap on our guns and let's go, go, to, you mm -hmm. know, let's go to work. Yeah. One of the things that I do is I will spend whole conversations. Um, we ask for them to confirm our, our uh, faith statements. We ask them to, I ask them to watch several of the sermons, um, the series, because we do the music and the preaching online. So you can get a real taste for it. We ask people, of course, to come and visit, see it. I ask them for two really long conversations. We have very detailed, long conversations. I will completely unpack the culture of the church. And I do that through what we call the family values, everything in seconds, family. So the family values, there's seven statements that are churchwide. There are nine statements that are uh, specific to staff and leadership. Um, so the same seven, but you get two more if you're staff and leadership. So we talk through those. We talk through what those look like. I give examples. I give illustrations. I say, so this in this situation, that's what this would look like. Then we spend a great deal of time unpacking the culture of the city because um, Conway, the city of colleges, and central Arkansas, there's just a ton of things that make it completely different than a lot of other communities. There are very similar communities um, that really mesh together. And we have discovered that, that like, oh, if you, like just a, 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 an example, Edmond, Oklahoma, and Conway, Arkansas have a lot of similarities. The culture is very, very similar. So when you flesh those sort of things out, um, you get, when you're aware of that, you get good candidates because you and I both know, I can think of six people right now. I can think of people who I've had a conversation with them just off the record, hanging out with them. They seem like everything is going great. They're at a great church. It's really exciting. The Instagrams look amazing. You talk to them and you're like, how is it really going? And they're like, look, I love this church. I hate this city. I do not like living here. I don't like living near these things and that sort of stuff. And so I really want to approach both because a lot of times it has nothing to do with the church. It's just the community. They just don't jive with that community. So the culture of both of those things is something we're really, really intentional about here. So... Yeah, I think I that's think right. That and I think there's so let me let's it, we, we've got a few more minutes. Let me let's talk a little bit about how we go through the process beyond just going through culture. Let me give you one other thing that I think would be wise for you to do. Um, and I don't do this always. It depends on how well I know the candidate. But I'm talking specifically about a candidate that I may be bringing in that I don't know very well. Mm -hmm. If I know the candidate real well, then the process is a little easier and you don't have to do this. But let me just give you a recommendation for a candidate you don't know real well. Do all of the interviews. Like here at Brainerd, if, if we're going to interview someone, we're going to do a couple of phone interviews that are lengthy and extensive. We're going to do, at that point, especially if it's a senior level position, we're going to bring them and their spouse in for a couple of days with our lead team. We're going to spend some time with them and their spouse together. We're going to take them and their spouse to a meal with all the lead team and their spouses. 
Uh, we really major on having the spouse there for those in, in-person, face-to-face interviews, mm-hmm. um, because they're not because we're hiring them. In fact, we're real clear on that. There's no formal expectations for staff wives, but because we understand that they're such a significant part of their ministry. And um, I tell people all the time, a great spouse can take a mediocre staff person and turn them into a great staff person, and a bad spouse can mm-hmm. take a great staff member and turn them into a bad staff member. It's true. So, um, yeah, so that matters to us. So we do all that. But if you don't know them very well, schedule in some sort of informal fun activity. Take them to play golf. Take them to a baseball game. um, Go fishing with them. Whatever would be a normal fun activity. And especially if it can be an activity where you can build in some level of frustration for them. And I know this sounds odd and I shouldn't give (laughs) away the secret Hmm. publicly. Here's why. In the interview process, everybody's good. Everybody can be good at the interview process. You learn how to go in, what to say, how to function in an interview. If you put them in a casual environment where they're wearing relaxed clothing and they're sort of expecting that we're kicking back, relaxing, they let their guard down a little bit. And then if you can introduce some level of stress into the experience, you can see how they genuinely react when their guard is down and they're under some level of pressure. And that's one of the hard parts of trying to determine a staff person is how do you define that part of their their role and uh, that part of their character and personality. And it's hard to figure that out until you actually get them in. And so my scenario doesn't fix that perfectly, but it does at least help you begin to get towards that. Wow. So, you know, you take them to a baseball game, the team they're rooting for starts losing. How do they respond? You take them to, golf, to go play golf and they hit a bad shot. Do they throw their clubs? Do they get quiet for two holes? I mean, just, you know, what, what's that look like? Golf is completely frustrating. Even top golf, it's just it's frustrating. But I've never played top golf. I'm planning to do it oh, this summer, though. It's so fantastic. Yeah, I'm it fixed golf because uh, golf was broken. No, top golf fixed it. So I think that's really helpful. And I think that's one of the interesting things is you and I didn't script out this podcast, of course. So I think um, what you see, and you've learned this from talking to other folks. I've learned these things from talking to other folks as well. Is that the hiring process is it's almost like an art or a science, and it has a lot more it's to both. do with just what's on a paper. Yeah. It's not it's not those things that you just immediately think of. Like, you know, if I was just going to speak personally, man, I want to hire an MDiv from Southern Seminary. That's going to give me the very best candidate. Well, oh, it yeah, may it could not. Be the worst candidate. It, it could. I could hire a, a bachelor from, you know, junior college – or not junior they don't have bachelors, but, you know, a bachelor's from this little college over here and – and they turn out to be fantastic because they have the character and the chemistry that we're looking for. And they've learned theology through great you know, upbringing at a good church. And so I just think that we could save uh, a lot of people a lot of stress if they stop seeing it so black and white and take that lead. Now, in our church, we have committee structure. And so there's a whole process that we need to go through. But when I'm very upfront with the committees and say, how about I do the majority of this legwork at the beginning? I'll bring you what I feel like are our top three or four candidates. Then you can take it from there, interview and, and, and you know, go through all the things that you want to go through. And I trust you. And uh, that lets me feel like, okay, they, they're pulling from a pool. If they pick any one of these three, I'll be happy, you know, and fantastic. But it works within our structure. But I do not think that ministers or pastors who are, are, are the quote-unquote going to be the boss, I don't think you should take a step back. Just let the team run with it. You need to be very involved because you're the one that's got to lead this person going forward. 
And ultimately, you will be both accountable for them and their responses, their behavior, their the way they do their job will be a reflection on your leadership. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us about a podcast that we yeah, want man. to share with you. We're excited about the uh, Ask Me Anything podcast. Have you listened to this Ask Me Anything podcast yet, Josh? I have. I it's love it. It's a great podcast. It's a lot mm -hmm. of fun. It's with J.D. Greer and Matt Love. It's a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network family, like we are. We're big fans of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. And recently, Go Team, uh, Go, Team Go, they've covered some topics like JD's biggest preaching influences, how Christians should engage with and on social media, is church membership in the Bible. So if, if you're interested in grabbing it, I'd highly recommend it. You ought to take a few minutes to do that. In fact, we're even kicking around doing an Ask Pastor Micah podcast here just because we love the format they've done. Mm. We're not trying to make it a big deal. We just think for our members, it could be helpful. Oh, yeah. uh, so we love this podcast. It's a real big help. Go check it out. Just look up Ask Me Anything on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. You know, one of the cool things I love about Ask Me Anything is I have a very short commute. Like some people do. You either have like this long one or 23 minutes for me. Yeah, mine is like seven minutes. Yeah. So um, the great thing about uh, Ask Me Anything is they're shorter. They're not long podcasts. No. So yeah. I can hit a light. If I catch a light, I can listen to a whole Ask Me Anything on the way home. And it's great. And, of course, I love JD. Big fan. Kind of fanboy over that guy. <laughs> and um, so – Love his podcast. Listen to that. Thanks for listening to us. Make sure you rate and review us on iTunes or wherever. And don't forget, we are on iHeartRadio and Spotify. So you can plug us into your favorite smart whatever you've got in your vehicle and, and listen to us as you go. Thanks again. Talk to you later. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. EST is proud to be a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network.